Welcome to Keeping It Secure, the Hashicast show about security trends, cloud adoption challenges, and security innovation. Join your hosts, DevOps Rob and DevOps Adil, as we tackle the complexities of cloud security and industry-wide challenges. <sighs> what are you saying, man? What are you saying, Bruce? We're here. <laughs> we are. Live and direct. Hang on, you know something? I just remembered. We tried to do an episode in person before, about a year ago. We went to the AWS Summit in yes, London. Yes, I yeah. remember. We did that in person. We're interviewing people, whatever it is. Yeah, even that was next level recording. That was next level as well, man. I remember that. That was Such good. Good conversation. So the people are probably thinking, okay, so if that happened, where's the episode? Like, why did we yeah. not hear that? And uh, yeah, my uh, recording equipment failed us. You know, the audio was just unusable. Yeah, that's a shame. So we had some solid people as well when we had joined. Solid. Solid, solid. We had Nico, yeah. had your your brethren from um, AWS. Yeah, yeah, my mate, yeah, Raj. Um, Raj, Raj, that's yeah, it, I was trying to remember his name, he, yeah. He was, and there was another guy from PwC. Uh, he was also um, James Stewart, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah James yeah, Stewart's yeah, son, yeah. he was there as well. Um, they all gave some solid insight. Nico and Raj, obviously, they came on together, right? And that's there right, was some, that's some right. solid conversation around. I can't remember what it was about, but it was good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, nah, man. Loved it, loved it, loved it. It's just a shame we couldn't get it out. But it's all right, man. We're here, you know. Um, first time in person. This beautiful studio. Tell me about it. Might be yeah. an upgrade, eh? Yeah. Stepping up in this world, you know. Tell me about Still. it, bro. 2023. We'll <laughs> be at next level. No, nah, I love it, love it, love it, man. How you doing, man? I'm good, mate. I'm good. You know, Ramadan's here now, so I'm fasting. Yeah. You know, taking it easy with work and stuff. But it's a, it's a you know, going for a detox. It's a good time to just kind of really... Uh, Step back and reflect, really, is it? and it's also a good time to do actual reflection on what we what we're actually going to be talking about as well. Trust me, trust me. You know what's funny is that <laughs> I messed up the calendar invite for this. I uh, sent it. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was funny. Oh, I was doing an airport run for my mum yesterday, and then the call came through. It's like, yeah, you're right, mate. Where are you? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I turned up. Luckily, you know, I literally live five minutes down here from here. Yeah, but um, that was funny. Yeah, I, I, t- I turned up. It was a good day as well, actually. So I, would, I didn't mind it. Um, the sun's out, dropped my boy from to school and I was walking down and like, because he's all getting up, right? I didn't know how to get in. So that's, that's when I called you. He's like, mate, yeah, you in? <laughs> <laughs> then, like, yeah, you told me yeah, tomorrow. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. But I was like, trusting my calendar, right? So, oh, man. Oh, but it's good, man. It was around the corner. So it's, you know, it, 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 yeah, right. I, f- I felt so much relief. Like, and I was thinking, oh, I'm so glad I booked this studio because <laughs> imagine if I made him travel like, all the way to South or something like that. That would have been like, yeah. oh, Rob, man, <clears throat> taking me away from my family for nothing. <laughs> nah, all good, man. All good. It was a, it was a, you know what? Sometimes I could do that commute because right? we obviously work from home and stuff, right? And um, a whole break that. from family. That's and what just, I mean. I just, you know. just walk because I was walking down, right? So I, I can't remember what I was thinking, but I had so many thoughts in my head. And I was just re- reflecting. Even yeah. this morning when I was coming down, walking down as well, I take my time walking down. Yeah, bit, you know, it's a bit rainy, but still, think it's just thinking and reflecting. So it's yeah. all good, man. There's always value Definitely. in everything, right? Always, always. Hey, before we get started, I just remembered to tell you something. Um, so I was in Birmingham last week. I was last week. Yeah, it was last week. I was giving a talk at um the Fusion Hub meetup. Yeah, shout out Fusion Hub. They're like solid people. Um, and yeah, basically after my talk. This this guy came up to me and he was just like, "Hey Rob," so I'm like, "Hi," like, and he's just like, "Great podcast." I was like, "Wow, oh, you listen to the podcast?" Wow, <laughs> he was like, "Yeah." So he works for Palo Alto Networks. I think you might know this guy. I can't oh, remember his name. Um, um, Tom Holland. <laughs> Tom Holland. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's who it is. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was it was surreal because it's like we, we do the pod. Yeah, it's out there. I've never met a listener before. You know, yeah. so like for someone to come up to me and say, "Yeah, like love the pod, whatever," and just kind of give I saw feedback. I saw a, yeah, a a tweet from you actually picture uh, taking pictures of that fusion hub. I think you took a picture of you as well. Yeah, um, I mean, it was just tweet commenting that you know it was a great meetup and stuff. Yeah, um, so yeah, it makes sense. It, it, it must have been him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my demo was catastrophic though. You know, my laptop crashed. They announced me. Yeah, I'm walking up on stage, plug my laptop in, it crashed. Really? Because I saw that. pictures of Boundary and stuff as well. So you must be doing demo around Boundary and. Yeah, but you know what it is? The demo, it kind of worked. But, you know, because I pre-set up certain things. So it's, a, it's like an hour talk and I only had 20 minutes. Okay. So I pre-set up certain things. So when my laptop crashed, it killed some <coughs> of the demo environment. I didn't 
set it all back up again properly. So yeah, the demo failed. So uh, a little bit annoying, but hey ho, mate. As long as life. people get the, get the message, right? I think that's what's important. I hope they did. I hope yeah. they did. But yeah, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Anyway, let's crack into this, man. Um, yeah. So um, shout out Jim Lambert, yeah, uh, Jim. If if you're watching this, um, this episode is dedicated to you because uh, you know we have uh, we have this uh, Slack channel. Uh, in the organization, we call it Talk Identity. You are you in that channel? No, I'm not. You're I didn't not? know about this channel. What are you doing, bro? I'm gonna join it now. Okay. <laughs> you told me that I'm gonna join it. All right, all right. So um basically it's a Slack channel set up by uh you know James Bayer? Yep, yep, VP yep. of R and D. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um shout out James Bayer as well. Like he's a solid guy. Um basically he set up this Slack channel for people that are interested in identity okay. and some of the challenges around it and you know just how we as 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 people in the industry can like think about solving some of these challenges right so um you know he invited me to this this channel there's quite a few like-minded people inside there and we debate a lot of things right now Jim Lambert put in a um a paper published by NSA let me actually just get the actual title of this paper it's called uh the recommended best practices for administrators the identity and access management edition um which we're, we're going to chop this up a little bit today um because you know just like when i first got it and i skimmed through it i said wow this is solid did i send it to you at the time or? you sent it to me at the time yeah but I, I didn't have a chance to read it until this morning actually there you go same as like, i just kind of skimmed it. i was like okay cool this looks solid right so um yeah we're gonna kind of talk a little bit about that today and and you know, just some of our interpretations of some of the things that, that we read inside there and, you know, just opinions or whatever it is. And already, like, Adil said some stuff earlier on, and I'm like, yo, save that for the pod because I already disagree with what you're about to say, right? Yeah, well, you got some <laughs> thoughts there, but uh, yeah. Right, so let's crack on, right? So if if we look at, like, um, this guide here, like, one of the first things that they do is they kind of set out some definitions, right? So they, they talk about identity and access management as a framework of business processes, policies, and technologies that facilitate the management of digital identities to ensure that users only gain access to data when they have the appropriate credentials, right? And I'm like, okay, cool. That was a very long-winded way of saying, you know, it's a way of confirming people's identities and, you know, checking that they are authorized to perform certain actions, right? But when it mentioned it as a framework, it kind of, you know, for me, it was it it, it was kind of a different way of of thinking about identity and access management i've always thought about it as quite a a rigid i don't even know if rigid is the right word but like i've always kind of thought of it as when we talk about identity and access management it's, it's simple right who are you prove mm. it okay are you allowed to do this yes or no it's as rigid as that right when you start thinking about it as a framework that means that there are more nuanced kind of um cases more nuanced kind of uh, workflows and examples that that it has to kind of incorporate and framework isn't really something that's like uh, prescriptive, like, hey, you must do this. Oh, it's right? principles, right? Exactly, right? Um, and which obviously, yeah, we think about things like um, uh, least privilege is, is yeah. a principle and so on and so forth, right? But in the framework, it gives you a bit more freedom to implement things the way that you see fit for your organization because your challenges are going to be quite individual right um and, and different priorities right for different organizations absolutely yeah um and i'm trying to remember what you said you said something yeah i, I remember what i said but what i said was right because now I'm, i want to take it back <laughs> <laughs> let's go let's go what it was right because i i misheard you so i thought you were saying that actually that the opinion was that it's not a framework uh or rather it should not be seen as a framework um and at which point it got me thinking okay that's interesting because if that's the case are we, is it alluding to that there are some things that need to be individually managed or decentralized, right? Um, and I still I still think like the access management part of it, or rather, you know, what's considered to be privileged, what's considered to be uh, um, adjusting time access type of thing should really be defined product per product uh, of the, a given um, say cloud product or technology product that the end consumer would be consuming 
or rather, or even in between, whatever that, whatever those are. Right, and at the end of the day, privileged access is going to be in relation to those um, to deem of the privileged access, whether that's for accessing data or privileged access in the sense that it has um, uh, enough permissions to be able to create other accounts as such. Um, I still believe it's. In, I think that the, as you said, in regards to principles, these are centralized and yes, correct framework, and. And now, having read it, I realised that yeah, framework here. What we're saying is that it's expanding more than just technology, right? It's it's looking at it holistically, where actually, even if it's a, a given a single scenario, and an identity, a user, as such, um, needing access to a a set of or privileged access rather to say a set of systems or processes or or data, mm. it needs an end to end, holistic focus. Yeah, no, from the point of a whether there is a, a request involved with other humans and validating and identifying to the point of, uh, of the actual uh, uh, data access in itself. So coming back to my point, I think you know what I was trying to say or, or, or the point I was trying to make was that I think there is a uh, an opportunity to recognise that what we want to keep central, and I think it comes back to your point now, what you mentioned around by mentioning it as a framework or by labeling it as a framework, it means that it, it there is a level of flexibility there. Because why it's more about adhering to the principles, how you interpret or how you uh, translate uh, of those uh, principles will be nuanced. And and, and I, I think at that point, it kind of validates what I'm thinking here as well is that you do give the freedom to then. I would if if I were to take the context of say a platform engineering team, in a cloud, and in that platform engineering team where they are working uh, or collaborating rather with both the security and, and governance, but also downstream towards the consumers. Yeah, and let's let's say I don't know cloud SQL instance or SQL uh, uh, server, as a as a product. Pam at that point, or privileged access management at that point, should be considered only for that, or rather, you know, with that perspective of classical instance at that point. So normal access would be, I don't know, an application data, application identity, rather, that would have access to that data. Privileged access could be a human actor that having access to, uh, uh, to the data itself. The point is that if... If we look at it from a principle, okay, these are some principles. I've got north stars, some guidelines that have been uh, published and printed, but you know, or centralized by our organization. Some of the you know principles of least privileged access, uh, just in time access, X, Y, Z. It that it deserves the product teams, or yeah, rather, to then start having some flexibility into in with regards to distinguishing. What is a privilege and what's not, but so I kind of got going back here now that there is this decentralized aspect, but then you don't want to do it too much to the point where the the the, the concept of shared services. So it's all about exist. striking the right balance, right? Right, yeah. But where that balance is is different for for everyone, right? Yeah. But it also makes me think, like, so we've done a lot talking about some of the recent hacks or whatever it is in, in yeah. previous episodes, right? And um, some of the <laughs> some of the commentary you see on like Twitter, <laughs> I know Twitter's not a real place, but hey, um, <laughs> you know, like let, let's go with LinkedIn, right? Some some of the commentary you see on some of these things here, right? What they do is people criticize organizations that have been victims of the hacks based on how they implement their identity access controls, right? Yeah. Um, and what their their knowledge and experience is. And are they taking a rigid approach when they criticize or are they thinking more holistically from a more flexible framework point of view where, uh, let's just say Uber, for example, yeah. um, they've done things in a way that they believe works for Uber. And, you know, sometimes you don't know things until it's happened, right? Exactly. You know, um, no one's perfect. No one's bulletproof. Um, it's funny. Um, I'm doing a renovation at, at my house at the moment and, um, I've I've got a security company coming in to like wire up with alarms and CCTVs, whatever it is, right? And and he was explaining something to me which is um really interesting. He said the security system that we're buying isn't to keep the attackers out. Right? So I was like, bruh, 
why am I paying you all this money then? Like, and he was just like, no, nah, it doesn't work like that. Because if they're going to get in, they're going to get in. He said, and then he said, let's take Buckingham Palace, for example. Mm. Right? The security systems they got at Buckingham Palace, right? If you are to get over the gate, that's one layer that you've yeah. got. They know that between getting to the gate and getting to the next checkpoint is, say, four minutes, right? Yeah. They've got four minutes to do whatever it is that they need to do before the attacker gets to that point. Then when they get to that point, they get to the next point. And yeah. then that one's maybe six minutes or whatever it is. What you do with these security systems is you're buying yourself time. Just It's detective controls then, at which point? Basically, yeah. yeah. And it's right? not necessarily preventative. And it comes back to that point where we're saying that about the the, the military you know, uh, origin of defence in depth, which is having adding layers of detective controls and therefore... Once you're detected, you add in your remediation. Yeah, as in a sense, coming back to say, it's not about preventing. Yeah, it's if people are going to get in, they're going to get in. Yeah, right. There's there's always going to be a weak link somewhere. Someone's going to find it. They're going to exploit it. Right. It's how you manage it. It's how you manage it. And obviously, you need to. Do you remember we spoke in a previous episode? I think it was the one with with Sarah Poland. Yeah. Um, the absence was, of data. And and no, was, it was the 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 amount of organizations that had been hacked. Right and. All of us kind of looked at that stat and we were just like, hmm, really? Are you going to tell me that every organization that's been hacked knows they've been hacked? Yeah, no, that's what I mean. There was, there was, there was that 21%, I can't remember what the number was, but there was a, a, a percentage of um, companies that claim that they've never been hacked. Yeah. Right, and I think that was what we were questioning. Yeah, exactly. How do you know? You know? Exactly. So it's like... Um, yeah, so going back to what the, what the security guy was saying, he was like, essentially, you kind of have to look at what is the core thing you're trying to protect here, right? You're trying to protect valuables. You're trying to protect your family. Like, what is it? Is it all of the above? What are you trying to protect, you know? So you're saying that, for example, if we want to build a panic room, what we would be paying for is buying ourselves enough time in an attack scenario to get ourselves inside the panic room and to be able to alert like police right that's what you're paying for <laughs> like people are going to get in essentially once they're in what are you going to do you know what are you going to do right that's interesting you know just realise that because like just even basic security cameras doesn't stop someone from no, coming in it stops the petty theft right the yeah. petty theft that's opportunistic person yeah look it's, you know yeah they, 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 they may they, they may uh, what's what I'm looking for uh, manifest as a deterrent for yeah. some. But in reality, that's not the objective. Right? The objective is to capture what's happened right? Um, a, 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 as such, or, or to alert the, the, the person well, inside hmm, the house. When you say to capture what's happened, yeah. Well, yeah so that's more like, more like, like an audit. <laughs> thing, right? Think about that, yeah. That's like yeah. an audit thing, right? Yeah. Basically, we want to know it's happened, right? Yeah. We want to. But like, you also want to be alerted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, like uh, Royal Mail, for example, like whatever happened there, because they're still being a bit shush about that, yeah. right? Um, but whatever happened there, they knew that they had been attacked. They yeah. knew. And they shut it all down. They were like, no, we're not doing this. We're not shipping any parcels. Like, Let's figure this out. Yeah. yeah, we're going to have to figure this out. We're going to alert all the law enforcement agencies. And, you know, we need all the help we can get. It was all hands on deck. Yeah. But the point is they knew. Yeah. And, and that, that's the, the win. Yeah, yeah, it's a big win. Yeah. It's a big win. And like, uh, so it turns out that was actually Lockbit. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I, I caught up on that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't know that the data never got published, did they? No, I mean, so there was. I I managed to grab nothing from Royal Mail. Yeah. But I managed to see something, um, uh, an article where they went into a little bit more details to the conversations between Lockpick and and, um, and Royal Mail, uh, and the demands that they were asking. Um, February 9th was the deadline. Uh, they gave a deadline. Yeah. Uh, um, and Royal Mail didn't... They didn't uh, pay. Yeah, they didn't pay. Uh, yeah. um, but uh, interestingly, Lockmead didn't publish the data either. Hmm. Yeah, I know. I, I thought, hmm, that's, that's, that's a strange one, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, let's, let's, let's not make it about that. But the point yeah. is, like, they knew it happened. They could react, right? No further damage. You know, I've still got... I've got an alert on my phone saying Royal Mail has delivered something that came from China, right? That happened just this morning. So albeit it's taken a month to get here but <laughs> back to operations in yeah yeah but it made it right so um at the end of the day i think that's that's the key thing so when we talk about the whole access controls yeah it's the simplistic view is who are you are you authorized to do these things here but what if you're not who you say you are 
how are we gonna figure that out, right? Mm. How how do we how do we know you're the anomaly? And that's one thing that this 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 best practice guide goes into. It, it says something about um when someone assumes an identity, they don't immediately go for the prize, right? No. What they do is they simulate normal behavior so as to not raise any anomalies or red flags or anything like that in the alerting yeah, but, system. I mean, that's interesting. As in, as a, as a actor, like, how do you know what's normal? As in, like, if I've just assumed an identity, I, I think I, it's a, I think it's a surveillance operation. Yeah, I think you okay. watch you watch the activities that someone's done. So there's a lot more planning goes behind it, basically, in order for that so, actor yeah. to be able to kind of put that into action, where they want to avoid. Um, uh, suspicious activity. Yeah. Then, uh, yeah, you're right. The only way that you'd have to do that would be that there needs to be some, you know, reconnaissance and planning involved in that before it, you know, you get to that point. Well, yeah, I guess, but it depends on what the thing is. You've got like persistent access, right? So mm -hmm. if you're trying to persist access to systems and data, that that's one thing. Yeah, uh, you feel like you mean like like a CSD pipeline needing, uh, I don't know, access to do to deploy Terraform. Right. Yeah, exactly, or, or, exactly. That's persistent. It's like, it's like what, how do you say this thing? You know that attack that happened? Is it called Scartil or something like that? Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know, man. Do you know what I'm on about? Yeah, yeah I know. you sent me a link on that one. But right, yeah. exactly. But it's like that. You sit there thinking about it, right? Um, so I had someone say to me, oh, what, what does that mean for Terraform, right? So basically, I think it was like um, an attack that loads of different layers were kind of chained together and eventually I think that something was compromised, maybe an S3 bucket or something like that. And through that they were able to get to something else and through that. So lateral movement to... though, right? Exactly, right? And then they got eventually got to Terraform, right? And someone said to me, Well what does that mean for Terraform? And I was like, nothing. <laughs> nothing whatsoever. Right. Um they didn't get to Terraform through Terraform. Mm. They got to Terraform just through like what you said, lateral movement. They compromised one layer, then they yeah. moved to the next and so on and so forth, right? Um, defense in depth. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd like that. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I, I, I still, for me, right, is like, uh, I still get confused. I still get, it just doesn't sit with me, this whole lateral movement piece. I think like, at which point you must have, you know, the, the identity that's been assumed must have had a, 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 some privilege, unless we're saying actually, the identity is assumed, went from access one thing from there assumed another identity that allowed access to the second thing or created or created or created I mean, an identity yeah. that's everything the guide mentioned yeah. is that they they can create new identities to yeah which is another interesting who... point i was thinking about vault because like in my experience we've not kind of questioned um the some of the secrets engine for example that vault has uh it involves the creation of yes. a service account a creation of a a, a service principle and then uh, by and inherently by creating a service principle you will also need to uh, bind it to some you know iron rolls so in my, uh, in, my in my last role the service accounts uh, given or rather the persona service account persona were many mm -hmm. It, um, I don't think, uh, in hindsight, I don't think we've given proper thought around how do you manage what Vault needs in order to be able to apply these roles, and should that be a continuous thing or you do it once, like I give it a blanket, you know, where you can create service accounts with any iron roles. I think it depends on who you talk to. Yeah. So, and it has to be more to the towards the operating model, right? As in, like, yeah, you need some level of maturity. To be able to continuously, re if we're talking about optimal, idealistic yeah. view, you'd only uh, allow, according to the principle of least privileged access, would be that, okay, well, it can only bind it to certain amount of uh, specific iron role yeah. to the service account. If there's a new use case, then you review it again and then you apply it again, right? But that requires a lot of maturity. That's why I miss SE Linux, man. Yeah. SE Linux was banging for this you know like you'd set up like your policy or something mm. like that yeah and you try and do something you get permission denied right yeah and you're like okay but then i can't remember this has been years since i've had to do this but you used to be able to like generate this report yeah and it tells you that in order for this to have been authorized you need this 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 wow this is good and that was 
that was the one for me. So basically, so I used to create all of these. That feedback loop, man. That's important. Right. But it's like, we've gone away from that. Like, yeah. obviously, that was SE Linux. Like, I don't really know how many people are using kind of the whole CentOS Red Hat sure. thing anymore. And But the principle, yeah, the principle of what of they were one. doing, yeah. I just thought to myself, instead of just telling me permission denied, hmm. you know, tell me where I can find out what permissions I needed for that. Because otherwise, what people do is they get frustrated and think, Blanket oh, just, just give them everything. Yeah. And then, and this is how we look at that 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 whole uh, lateral movement attack. Yeah. yeah, something somewhere probably had access to everything. Yeah, right. And this is how they were able to compromise. And then you think traditionally speaking, that people would just, that, that to mitigate that they'll just add gateways and, and layers to Vault, for example, instead of actually resolving. Well, why does Vault need all of that? But instead of what they say, no, oh, well, you know, we'll just guard it so that it doesn't, you know, vote yeah. doesn't get compromised itself. So I got, I got caught. <laughs> so I did some work with a, a client years ago before I joined HashCorp, right? And um, I was setting up the Azure Secrets Engine in Vault for them, right? Big Azure consumers, this 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 organization. And um, I spent, no no joke, I spent about two weeks trying to get the permissions for that secrets engine to work, right? And I, I couldn't get it working. I raised support tickets. I was on Twitter. I was I was asking anyone, like... Trying to figure it out. Yeah, who could make a V, <laughs> like, yeah. do you know what I mean, yeah? What's the permissions? I spoke to people in Microsoft, and they said, oh, it's a HashiCorp thing. You speak to people in HashiCorp, they're like, no, it's an Azure thing. And I'm like, that actually makes a bit more sense. It's Azure's permissions model, right? Yeah. Um, And then in the end... I can remember there was one stand-up where the team leader's like, Rob, how are you getting on with that? And I was just like, same as yesterday, dude, same as yesterday. He was just like, just just give him blanket permission so that we can move on to the next task. And I was just <laughs> like, nah, bro, it doesn't work like that. Nah. And he was just like, yeah, but we're wasting time doing this. I'm like, yeah, I'm a contractor, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. my reputation's on the line. 100%. Here. You know, like, something happens whole with point that. Of it. Yeah, exactly. Who did that? You're going to point the finger at me. So yeah. I said, no, nah, we're not moving on until we get the right permission. I'm engaging all the right people. Um, if 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 you want to, like, put the blanket things on, you're going to have to put that in writing, that this is your decision, that I've advised against it. Yeah, exactly. And so your professional advice doesn't change, basically. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, you've got cybersecurity, insurance, and all those types of things there for instance like that. But I'm not trying to claim my policy. Not Absolutely when I not. know better than that. Yeah, And, and that's the thing. So if, if And I've seen that happen throughout my career a lot where yeah. companies are just like, or, or the other way it happens is this actually set up a proof of concept of what right <laughs> that goes into right? prod <laughs> it comes into prod because you, you you present it to whoever the decision makers are they're like fantastic so the focus is on generating dynamic credentials right that's what exactly. the focus is exactly exactly whereas I always say that when you're doing like these proof of concepts or spikes or whatever it is like, it's all supposed to be throwaway code yeah but instead what organisations say is how do you production harden that and then release it and the problem is there's no product management involved in that. That's right? what it is. And there's like I don't I don't see too many organizations who have like product managers for the security aspect of or even IT operations in general. Yeah. It's very few and far between. I mean, I've I've personally have experienced and seen it. I mean, when I say I've seen it uh, in my last role, we consciously uh, tried to move towards that and attempted to move towards uh, building a kind of product-driven mindset. I'm currently obviously talking to our, uh, a customer of ours uh, where I am actually advising them and advocating to kind of adopt this kind of product-driven uh, development mindset and a, and a kind of product management mindset. But in reality, though, it's like, yes, I can do that and, they, they, and you know, try and advocate and evangelize mm-hmm. and even have workshops uh, around this person. But this kind of... Re- 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 it uh, goes back to you know, the, the the people and process aspect where if you really want to ins- instill uh, product management practices, then hire a product manager. Uh, you know, this is what you want. If, you're, if you want as an organization, whether that's an IT operations or, or a security organization, where obviously the first barrier is actually getting convincing them that this is the way forward. Yeah. But even once you do that, and this is the current experience I'm bringing, is that where I have convinced, but in, in reality, to this to start to actually manifest and, and um, become prevalent, it, you will need to hire product managers who are not necessarily technical, i.e. in relation to security or in relation to IT operations, but are, you know, 
come from a, a background, a product management background, you know, dealing with you know, commercial products. Yeah, they know how to own stuff. Right, which, yeah. which is really what it's about. It's like if someone owns it, they know how to seek the right advice, right? 100%. They, know, they know how to, you know, identify what the issues are. They know how to come up with resolutions for these things, so even if they don't understand it fully themselves, right? No, because they'll ask the right questions. They'll ask. The, they'll do the whole market research, you know, and because what they understand is capturing the market. They understand is that what's that they, they need to identify the minimum value that needs to be driven they understand at which point you're breaking these down into you know iterative releases and as, as such right yeah. we can read up on blogs and then try and implement ourselves but in reality instead of trying to find devops engineers or 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 platform engineers that or and i'll start querying them around what's your thought on product management why don't you just get a product one even one person to start with you know who's it who's actually yeah. comes from a product management background I almost feel like that's one of the biggest challenges. So, you know, we look at all these state of the cloud reports and whatever, right? Yeah. And they talk about um, skill shortage being an issue, right? Yeah. But the interesting thing about that is, I, and this is maybe it's just my perception of the world, but people don't hire skills anymore, man. They hire job titles. So, yeah. like, mm. when people talk about skill shortage, like, is that a supply chain issue? Is it a hiring issue? Are you, like, not hiring the right people? Yeah. And then they're not developing the right skills as a result well, of that. The, yeah, I, I think you know, as people say, they're looking for a unicorn, and I think that's true, right? In the sense that you want a person who's a, 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 who's a product manager and is a uh, infosec developer and is a, 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 a CISSP and and is a, a actual software engineer and application developer and all of that stuff, right? Has to tick all the boxes, right? That's not what. That's not the interpretation of a multidisciplinary team. <laughs> interpretation of a multidisciplinary team would be that you actually get a product manager and you get an infosec person and you get a software developer and they all complement each other. You know, in that team to share a, a, a common goal that they need to achieve. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now back to the kind of you know this whole um, practice around principle least privileged actions. I do think it, it, there's coming back to that framework. And being holistic, it does come back to then actually saying that a lot of it is then interrelated to things like product development and product management. It's related to um, coming back to, as we said, right, you know, there's, there's principles and then there's the, the, the delegation aspect. But then there's also shared services, right? At which point, what are we saying? So let's just say, what's an example of something that's an absence of a framework? you know, a, a privileged action management framework. Would we say then every time a new systems uh, is brought into existence uh, and before it goes into production or UAT or at, at any point of that journey where it is now time is warranted to start looking into um, privileged access management, it just must onboard onto this centralized PAM service. Uh, and the centralized PAM service dictates it's just a, credential that's all we need a root token um and then we uh and just nominate a few person that uh would need access to <laughs> it and then nominate a few person that would need to approve it job done what if but what if your system is is not driven by root token it's not driven by a credential yeah yeah what if it's an elevated access permission where actually we're yeah you know and, and anyway, it's all fun and games until the person you trust can't be trusted anymore. You know, and that's that, and that's the thing. It's like you have to trust something somewhere, right? Yeah. Um, but I, and this is one thing about Vault, right? So if you look at Vault, the whole Shamir secrets sharding yeah. thing, right? The idea is that um, you know you've got five shards, and well, by default, five mm -hmm. shards, and you need a minimum quorum of three yeah. to be able to unseal it, kind of thing. So if you follow that default behavior, no one person can. Yeah do that and a lot of organizations i've worked in when they talk about risk mitigation they say to you yeah you need to mitigate against these risks here and i'm like yeah but what if these people collude they're like that's out of scope that's interesting because in my in my in my previous role the whole collusion was a big thing <laughs> it's part of risk management yeah it? but you you worked oh, i was about to say you, you worked for financial services that's it? right yeah yeah so i I, the, the client I'm talking about, I don't want to say names, right? Uh, but they are a quant research company. Okay, so, so they're not regulated as such as... Uh, or, or, I don't think so. Basically, nah, let me not say too much because people figure out yeah. what I'm talking about, right? But yeah, I don't think... I think what you where you're coming from is uh, you're dealing with regulations. What they, is it the F, FCA? FCA, FCA, PRA, FCA. yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, we need the FCA to come on this thing, man, and just Tell break it down to us. People who are listening and watching, if there's anyone that works in FCA, please reach out to us. Some of you know I've reached out to you on LinkedIn, you know. You've been blanking me, you know. Oh, come well, on. oh, come on. Come on. I don't <laughs> bite. You know. Exactly. FCA, come talk to us. School us. We want to learn. But yeah, like I think it, it comes down to that. So whatever uh, regulations you have to operate within, and I reckon collusion is... Because if you think about financial uh, crimes... Right? Yeah. Rarely are they individual crimes. Absolutely not. So, yeah. like, I can imagine. Yeah, because in my last role, coming back to that shard thing, right? The Shimei Shard, uh, shard and um, what we had to do uh, was we had to identify uh, at least the quorum, the free quorum, to be from three different teams. You know, uh, um, so we had to show that. You know, uh, uh, even though we had, I think it was five, split up by five, but then um, it was three teams. Um, so in order to uh, to then show kind of quorum uh, as such, initially we did five, then we changed it to twenty um, because people started <laughs> leaving. <laughs> Whoa, no, you're about to tap in something. That's interesting. So yeah. the life cycle of a shard yeah. is not tied to the life cycle of someone's employment. Well, it's interesting, but, but what it we, should be. But how yeah. do you do that? So what what it was, it was basically. So we use CyberArk to store uh, the vault. Um, uh, shard right the shard of keys and um, we were so initially when we had the five uh, we nominated uh, five people as such to have access to it we didn't actually you know what it, it doesn't have to be in, I'm now I'm thinking about in hindsight oh no that's why the reason why we did that was because they were uh, uh, PGP encrypted mm-hmm. by those individuals so there is a one to one mapping okay. now between each shard um, and and the, and the individual because it was using their PGP uh, key to uh, to encrypt okay, it. Okay, fair enough. So you couldn't, you know, if there was a PGP was involved, then I suppose you can have the argument. Well, one key could be accessible by two people or three people. So if there's five, that could be ten or fifteen people. Yeah, but right. Again, it might be out of scope here, yeah, but the PGP encryption happens on one's device. Yeah, one's device. We we would use Keybase, right? Um, okay, but, right. the keybase is different. Yeah, keybase is different, right? Well, but so the, the one's device kind of though, different. Yeah, yeah, kind of, because some people still maintain within keybase, they still maintain the private key on their device. Yeah, right. So, which is another risk altogether, right? You know, yeah. if that was lost or something. But in our case, what happened was people started leaving very quickly, and we got to a point where, okay, if this like basically it's down to three people now. <laughs> Everyone went and got that money elsewhere, boy. <laughs> so exactly. So like, if we don't, you know, rotate and replace it right now, then we'll be stuck in in, in the future. So that was at that point. Then we decided, okay, we're going to do twenty shards now, mm-hmm. right? So we did twenty shards. Uh, we still maintain the quorum of three, but we did twenty shards. But it's an interesting piece. I, I do think this is something that doesn't get talked about much as well. Or actually, even when we have conversations uh, with customers. Uh, the fact that they even want to distribute the sh- five or or however many sharded keys to uh, safes, uh, you know, for them they think you that's mean physical safes. No, I say physical safes, but I mean no digital safes as well, oh, like yeah. Cyberite Vault or something, right? Yeah. But what I'm saying is like, I've had that in the past where they're like, yeah, it's got to be printed out by some oh, that's not secure printer. It's got to go in that safe and this office. Yeah, but someone's seen it at that point, though, right? You know, someone's seen it, right? <laughs> oh yeah, and then they've got this policy with um, uh, what was it? Oh, what was it? It's something like someone has to do it and then someone has to supervise them and then a the third person has to supervise the supervisor. And I was like, you lot went mad. Yeah, this is the thing. <laughs> but it's all, human, it's all human. Like they were asking, I remember they were asking around, how would you distribute it? And that's when the whole PGP came into place. So because it's PGP encrypted, we can just send an email out to the five people, you know, same thread. These are the five, put their names beside it and then um, send it out to them and then they will be responsible for storing it in in, um, in the cyber art vaults but actually at that point just thinking about it now it's like given that it's PGP encrypted does it even need to be in cyber art vault anymore it's like just you can even have it on a conference it's caution version. though isn't it yeah I suppose so over caution yeah because yeah. Uh, I mean because the thing is well you say caution right but you're okay for it to be emailed no, no, no. When I say caution, not not caution of like from a security perspective. It's like um, what's it called? Uh, console, right? Yeah. So I, I can remember when I first got into console, th- this whole idea of ACLs, right? You set up the ACL system with that that 
I think they call it a master token or something like that. Sure. Um, and then you set up all the stuff you need to set up with, and then you're supposed to burn that token, right? The difference between console and vault is it's not so simple to regenerate. Yeah. That. Okay. Um, so when I say to to customers, it's like, right, cool, let's get all this set up, and then we're going to burn that console token. They're like, whoa, no, <laughs> no, we can't do that. Like, I'm like, all right. Um, but this is what their best practices say yeah. is that it's like it's not designed to be long lived. It's designed to get you. It's, a, it's called a management token. My bad. Management it's called token. a management token, right? Um, so yeah, and a lot of customers. Like, I mean, I was. It's, it's not the hill I was willing to die on, right? So I'm not going to fight that one there. But the reason why they didn't want to give up the, the 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 management token is they were like, if we ever lose access to stuff, especially those that were using console as a back end to vault, right? Yeah, they're like, we're screwed. I'm like. Yeah, so, you know, you just need to create, like, an ACL policy, which is your kind of we're screwed kind of policy, right? Mm. Um, and then go in that way. Uh, and they're like, yeah, no, we'll keep the management tokens. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, it's just, yeah. It is that caution, so, so when you think about the caution, it's not yeah. always about the risk of exposure. It's the kind of no. risk of... Operational risk, right? Operational risk, right? And, yeah. and that's remember, that's the whole thing. You're striking that balance between, you know... Because if you if you go the most secure approach, no one gets anything done. Absolutely not. Right. Yeah, There's always chances are you never hazard. get hacked. Yeah. Right. Um, but then if you go the productive route, then you're probably going to get hacked. Right. Yeah. But at that point, is then then this is where the question comes to. Okay. There's a risk. But oh, and there's there's a probability of risk, right? And mm-hmm. then there's the impact. And the only reason why you would do an impact assessment is to then really to help you further assess how much you should be investing with regards to or upfront investment, rather with regards to securing a the set the, the said kind of um, uh, matter, because and, and this is the point I'm trying to come back to is uh, the point you're making right now is that. It's this whole caution piece, right? And and, and how you, you know you you you're you're screwed as you as you say, but if um if we say actually coming back to that striking that balance piece though and productiveness, you know, this is where I believe you know, uh, and I, I'm going to take it back to people and process, right? Well, people rather is that as an organization, I think there is a misalignment in. Uh, the principal objectives, or rather, uh, incorrectly incentivized, right? So, if security organisations are incentivized to secure it, right, uh, secure whatever that said thing is, then they will do that at any cost, or will try to do that at any cost. That will be their attempt, and that the ideal thing will be, as you say, is to be these the most secure, unhackable. I don't care, whatever. It's incorrect. Whereas, actually, if it was driven by productivity. So I, you need to be rightly incentivized to be hitting towards productivity. However, these are non-functional requirements that need to be met. So that's not your end goal. Your end goal is getting this uh, application to market. However, as part of that, there are some you know constraints that you need to meet. Then you will get creative, and that which would lead to things like, okay, given that I'm driven by productivity, that should drive you to then look at impact assessment and to realize actually. You know what? Yeah, I mean, I, I I can give you a practical example, right? Um, so there's a particular government organization that I did some work with in the past, right? And so just to kind of uh, prefix this, right? So the the point of of this story here is they took the security route, right? They didn't think about productivity. Okay, right? Okay, cool. Um, so basically, I was a consultant. And I came in to do some stuff for them, right? And I can remember when I got there, they gave me a laptop, yeah? And I was like, whoa, this ain't gonna work. <laughs> and they were like, well, that's the laptop. I was like, yeah, listen, I got my own laptop, right? And if, if you don't want me to let, uh, allow, if you don't want to allow that to join the, your network, yeah, that's cool. I'm gonna develop this thing on my laptop, yeah? I'm gonna test it. And Send then, it over. Uh, yeah, and then when I'm done, I'll hand it over, right? Yeah. So did all this stuff. Uh, worked with them for a few months and when it came to handover they were like right it's time to give it to us I'm like yeah how do you want it mm. <laughs> and they're What's like that? yeah can you just like maybe stick it on a USB stick or something like that and and hand it over so I'm like okay cool no problem 
USB stick in my laptop, copied it over, gave it to him. He puts it in his laptop, right? Doesn't allow him to connect the USB up drive, the USB forward, drive. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So I'm like, so how else are we going to do this? So, yeah. so what we do is we engage their security person, right? We're like, yeah, like we need to get this file over because nope, that's a violation of policy. No okay. way we're going to allow that. Yeah. So I was like, what? So what's the policy? So no USB sticks or, or data drives, external data drives are allowed to connect to any corporate hardware, yeah. right? So I was like, okay, so how am I going to get this? Can I use like file transfer or something like that? They were like, nope, it's all banned. So, how, and this is the thing, it's like, so the, the, the question would be, they spent, I, I, I swear I was charging like 1200 a day. I was there for months, right? Wow. I was there for months. They spent a lot of money and I was just like, look, ain't my problem. I've done my work. Like, I, And this is, <coughs> excuse me, the person that was obviously saying that nope, it's not allowed, for them, they would never get scrutinized or hold to, held to account never. for the cost that's incurred or but they, unnecessary they, they cost. They might have done incurred. in the end, right? Because I haven't even dropped the bombshell yet, right? So <laughs> I said to the guy, so he was, he was like a product owner or something, right? He's the one that wanted the, the, um, yeah. the stuff I'd done, right? I said to the guy, I was like, do me a favor. Unplug your laptop from the network. Right, he unplugs it from the network. Right, I'm like, and you can put it in. <laughs> yeah, I said, right. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put, um, I'm, I'm gonna let you tether from my phone. Tether to my phone. You did a Bluetooth transfer, and it worked. Right. So I was like, so all of this thinking we're being secure, you're not secure because what you're doing is you're enforcing it at the network level, at the network level, at the perimeter. Level. Yeah, yeah, and so I was just like. You know what? Tell him if you want or don't. Like, this isn't beyond the scope of my statement of works. Yeah. But, like, you know, like, at the end of the day, people think they're doing all these things to shut all the doors. Whatever well, it's it funny you say that because, like, ultimately, you, neither have you re achieved productivity and neither have you achieved. No, what they've done is they've lost governance, right? Yeah. Because what happens is, see, engineers and developers, we're smart people, right? Mm -hmm. if, and if you put barriers in our way, we will find, find a way. way. Yeah. Just like I did, right? We will find a way. That's where shadow IT exists, right? Exactly. Yeah. So what happens is this, right? So imagine someone needs for productive purposes to move some code or something from some corporate place to some other environment for whatever reason, yeah? Now, because you haven't made it straightforward for them to do that, they're going to go outside the scope of your governance and do it, right? So they're going to... yeah. Like, for example, so now I figured out that this this department were doing everything at network level. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So all you have to do if you want to use Dropbox is just, just tether. Yeah. You know, just jump onto someone else's Wi-Fi or something like that. You know, just don't be on a VPN. Like, mm. that's all you have to do. And they will find that way. So now what you have is all this company data, which you've now lost control and governance over. Data exfiltration. You don't, you don't even know it's, it's been exfiltrated, not. right? Because you yeah. have no audit on it. But this is what, back to the, uh, the pressing need for detective controls over preventative controls, right? And say. use the detective controls as a feed facts to then build solid preventative controls. That's right, that's right, that's right. You know, it's, uh, it's, it, this is the thing, and then adding, you know, back to our point, right, about adding layers and stuff, and until you don't have the right detective controls, how do you know any of this is working? Or, or how do you know this is all redundant? Yeah, and I wonder if, like, because, you know, after that day, that was my last day, literally, mm. there. Um, I don't really know what happened. I don't know if it was reported back to them or if the the security guy that we asked just suddenly asked the question like, hmm, how did you get that stuff in here or whatever mm. it is? And it's interesting because like you got back to your point around if 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 the and I come back to my point as well that the organisations right if they're not correctly incentivized yeah it means then conversations also become difficult sometimes futile like if you told them okay well this is going to delay. Uh, having our applications, you know, out to market, out to release, it may, you know, it, it may may not get the reactive that reaction that you would like to for them yeah. to get because they're not they're not correctly incentivized. And it comes back to all chart as well. It's interesting because I've seen, I've I went to a, a bank where we spoke to the the CISO, and when we looked at their org chart, we realized that CISO was reporting to the CIO, um, and the chief risk officer was reporting to the CISO. So. At which point they were correctly incentivized. You know their incentives and their uh, objectives were how to enable, you know, app development. But where you see actually a CIO uh, or peers to CISO and they're directly then reporting to the CEO, 
then quite quickly you'll see or, or the chief resource officer as well but if where they are actually where uh, they have these segregated duties uh, and not necessarily incentivized to enable one another then that's where you start seeing these patterns right and it comes back you know a lot of people think you know this is not when you speak to practitioners or, or even leads and sometimes you know like vps or such when you speak to them about this stuff mm-hmm. they can't see the correlation they can't see the relation and they are i agree and look i'm not this is i agree and, and um I'm not saying that this is something you can do overnight. You can change your organizational path. It's a journey. Yeah. yeah, it's a journey, right? But understand the the first step of that journey is acknowledging that this is where the root of the problem is, right? Because at the end of the day, you can put all the technologies if you need to, but if you're not getting the right collaboration in place, right, then you're not gonna. It's, it's like we can talk about embedding security within a product. We can talk about embedding security in in pipelines. We can talk about actually, you know what. The, the the like you know, using security examples. is a lifestyle, man. It is right, but look, we can talk about look, adding sentinel policies. Let's just yeah. say. create sentinel policies, pre-approve. Uh, well, let's talk, let's you know, park the pre-approval piece in a bit. But sent, you create sentinel policies, you create Terraform modules, yeah, and all of that stuff. You can do all of that stuff, endpoint security or whatever, right? But if that hasn't changed the behavior, if you're still having to then get reviews done, that's right, right? And so, which means that. Despite you doing all of that, if the security organization or the risk organizations are not correctly incentivized, they will maintain, well, these processes will still need to be in play. Yeah. Irrespective of what greatness you may have done, you know, uh, within a module, uh, irrespective of all of that stuff you've done, because you're asking them to change their ways of working. Yeah. Right? What's in it for them? It's true. It's true. And that's the art of every negotiation is that what's in it for them? When you bring something to the table, yeah, and I think this is where people that fail at negotiations, uh, this is where they go wrong, right? They always think this is what I want out of it, right? Well, really, the art to it is this is what I need out of it, yeah, yeah. This is what I'm prepared to compromise on, yeah. Or this is what I'm prepared to give them. Give what them. Do they, what do they need? Give them. That's what it is, right? It comes yeah. back to that as well. Is that, for example, where you may show that, hey, look, there is a way where we could have your policy determined as code all of that stuff that can be baked in per product per environment whatever it is and it avoids the need to do all this review right Mm -hmm. if if you at that point even if you said okay fine you know we will help we will put the investment in implementation developers whatever we'll provide all that you don't need to do all of that stuff right there's still work on their side yeah yeah the the work being that if you're going to tell them okay it means that you don't you no longer need to review it anymore because mm-hmm. you can just review patterns as opposed to reviewing deploy, uh, deployments, right? Yeah, you might say, okay, at that point you might incentivize them and say, hey, it means you, you know all that work where you're not only a bottleneck but you're you're busying yourselves, yeah, yeah, with all yeah. of these deployments. It means obviously less busy. Fine, but it still requires work to decommission that, right? And it, it's not it's not just about decommission. It's about now training them and changing that culture right it's an entire organization where you have to tell them, right it's a ne- we got a new way of working yeah we're no longer reviewing cab reviews anymore yeah. and doing changes anymore because we're just reviewing you also got to understand the mindset of developers like yeah from developer we don't care about all that no. generally speaking we do not care about all that we just want to build some stuff yeah Heck, we don't even want to do bug fixing. Absolutely That's, not. that's why if mm-hmm. you look at a lot of organizations there, when it comes to like bug fixes, that like they have like a Bounty rotation. Problem. Yeah, no, because no one don't want to do it. They just want to build stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. So you start saying, oh, yeah, you got to start encrypting this or you got to start doing this and start doing that. They're like, that's Now you've got conflict, right? This is long, man. And like basically, like, so if you look at, so you, you know me, I've done a lot of like integration work, right? Yeah. I've done, I've built a lot of things that tie things together, right? And the whole point behind a lot of the work that I do is to abstract away complexity 100%. from whoever the consumer is, right? Yeah. I don't mind sitting in my office at home, writing all these complicated codes, fixing all these bugs and those kind of things here, if it's going to make life simple. If, yeah, if it means, yeah, exactly. For, for the consumer. Like, yeah. Yeah, 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 me and Nick, we talk about this stuff all the time, right? We We build stuff and... And we come up with these ideas and I'm like, yeah, I think that's actually going to be quite nice for the end user. And Nick would always say, yeah, but it's a nice for us to build. It is. But you know what it is, right? Come back to this. Let's talk about that. You say it's nice for the end user. Yeah. But it, the, the, only, the only way the end user experience or the, that developer experience, right, they, that nirvana, 
of the reverent experience, it still requires mm-hmm. those organizations that are, mm-hmm. you know, the, your governance organizations, it still requires your risk organizations and security organizations to comply, or rather, because a developer experience, what is it? You know, the ultimate manifestation, in my view, right, personally, in my view, the, the ultimate manifestation of a developer experience is one that where they never have to leave their IDE. They never have to leave their terminal. They deploy an application, coming back to that, that abstraction, reducing cognitive load, right? They deploy an application, and then as part of that deployment, on the fly, environments are built, um, and it, it's not going for any gated process. It's all happening in that single run, right? Now, in order for that to happen, it's not the technology piece. Like you say, you know, it's a pain for us to build. Fine. And we can build it. But you go take it to a bank or you talk, take it to some kind of, you know, a regulated organization. I mean, it, I say regulated, but it's, this is not a regulation issue as such. It's yeah. mindset, right? You know, but you go to organizations where there are traditional mindsets involved, right? You can show them and say, hey, this is possible. Because I've spoken to one bank, right, um, where I was telling them about this stuff and I was talking about, you know, if by adding policies, if you create sentinel policies um, and revolve it around uh, a use case as yeah. opposed to trying to boil the ocean, roll around its use case, and then you have confidence that you know, they can't be really deterred from it, uh, and then you have obviously a Terraform modules built, then that developer potentially can uh, autonomously deploy to production. Yeah. The response I got back was, well, we're already achieving that governance uh, and, and the... Uh, um, uh, assurance of security, but at what cost? Well, they, well, that's the thing. Right? They, 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 they were talking about Azure Sentinel policy, i.e., centralized at the top kind of uh-huh. thing, right? Uh, Azure Sentinel policy, um, and obviously documented policies as well. But in, from a technology perspective, they were talking about these the the cloud governance controls and, so, yeah. and stuff, right? And so it will prevent them from doing that. Yeah, but the cognitive load is still high for developers. And the impression I got was so. Is this? Is, how does that? You know, how's why? My problem no, how's it my problem? But the, 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 <laughs> problem, the, the point they were making, you know, if I've already achieved compliance, why would I take on more work? Yeah, to uh, uh, make the developer's life easy when it's not in my, it's not my objective to do so. Because then what you're saying is but that it goes back to what you said about being incentivized, right? Yeah, exactly. If they were incentivized to do that, then they would. They would exactly. Right? But it's like. So that, go, that goes to sea level, though, right? At which point uh, it's like you need to have those conversations at that sea level piece. Maybe. What, and what are, you know, what, are, what are your KPIs look like? What are, what are security organizations? Do KPIs developers look like? have good representation in conversations, though? Like, I think it's. Uh, and it, then even even if you all right, so even like there's representation. That's one thing, right? And then the other thing is communication. So I can represent developers at the, in these conversations, for example. Sure. Um, but I need to know how to articulate it in language that the subjects of the conversation understand. Understand right? it, right, yeah. Um, you think about what my job is, right? Yeah. On paper, my job is, well, not even on paper, re- reality of the situation is I represent the open source community Yeah. to our developer community internal, internally at the company, right? I also represent the developer community internally to the open source community. So when people turn around and say, why can't this do that? And how comes this has happened? Well, I can represent them to our community, to, to our developers but if our developers turn around and say we're not going to do that we've made a decision and here's our reasons why i'm like okay cool pitch me on that sell me first because yeah, i'm not going to just be an echo chamber agree, yeah, yeah. yeah and then if you can pitch me on that then i'll i'll go and make the case with with some strength key, key point a key example is um i remember back in the day terraform had um which could these things provisioners right yeah and I remember those <laughs> <laughs> long time. This is yeah. long before Terracol came out, right? But yeah, so imagine um, people were campaigning for Ansible yeah. provisioners, and I was one of those people. I was using Ansible quite heavily at the time, and I was like, "Yeah, I just want to deploy this VM, and as soon as it's it deployed, calls, calls I want it to be configured. I want all this stuff on there, whatever, right?" And yeah, it just never happened. And then I was using the whole uh, no resource with yeah hacky stuff. Right? Local exec and all that stuff. Right. And then I can't remember who it was at the company, but they, they pitched me, right? They were just like, yeah, you don't need to do all that, right? What you need to do is you need to build your golden images, right? You need yeah. to use Packer. You need to build it. If you know every VM is going to have to have these things here, well, then build it. Baseline, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that, right? And then you deploy that image with Terraform. 
So then it's not really much to do after that. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, but what about this use case? I'm like, oh yeah, cool. That's simple. And then we went through each bit and they pitched me. So at the end of that conversation, I was a believer. Yeah. So now I can remember I gave a talk at um, a Red Hat Ansible event or something, right? Um, and the talk was nothing to do with that. But after the talk, when it came to Q&A, someone just batted in straight away and they were like, when's HashiCorp going to support Ansible <laughs> I was like, oh, right. So we're going there, are we, kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And literally, I, I went back and forth with this guy and I was, I was like, listen, we're not going to do it. And here's why. And, you know, we were debating the whole thing. At the end of the conversation, he had to accept the answer because, yeah. you know, he ran out of he ran out of juice. Like, he yeah, had nothing. Yeah, there's no there's no other counter. Yeah, there was no counter or anything like. And if there was a counter that I couldn't answer, I would have taken it back to the team saying, "Sure, we might need to reconsider this." Because you're representing him at the same exactly. time, exactly. Right? And that, and that's how this whole thing works. You've been listening to Keeping It Secure with your host DevOps Rob and DevOps Adil. Be sure to join us next time 